So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited about the podcast today because, as we know, we talk a lot about on Cash Flow to Freedom, obviously, investing and entrepreneurship and I've mentioned this endlessly, but there is no difference in entrepreneurship and real estate investing. Either way, you treat it and it is a business. And that is one of the major focuses that if you're getting started in any endeavor, whether it's an online business, whether it's a service business, whether it's buying up real estate properties in which you hope to create a real estate business, you know, you got to focus on getting over so much, pushing through the hard stuff and making it happen. And uh, I'm excited to have with me today, Dr. Eric Cole, who is going to talk to us about his past. He is a expert in cybersecurity and entrepreneurship. He has uh, started and sold multiple businesses. So, you know, this is going to be a great podcast. So I'm not even going to keep going into it without any further ado. Doctor, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. So, you know, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background? You know, we we were talking earlier, you're from DC, but why why don't you give them a little insight into kind of, you know, how where you got started? Uh, so I was born and raised in New York and sort of traditional families where you want to have that good, stable job. So when I was graduating from college, the CIA was recruiting on campus. And I got a job with them and my parents are like, oh, that'll be a great job. You work for the government for 30 years, you get your pension, life is good, life is safe. And it was a great gig. I worked there for eight years as a professional hacker. So basically had a license to hack anything on the planet. So it was awesome getting that experience. So Uh, you were watching my computer and seeing what I was doing. You were, you know... (laughs) Dude, I, I have some blackmail pictures on you from what you were doing before the show, but we'll talk about that later. So, <laughs> Awesome. So, so it, was, it was great experience. I always tell people I do not regret for a second working for the government. It was great, great experience there. But what I learned there was sort of two things. Uh, one is I don't like working for other people. And, and I don't mean this as a negative, but in a lot of situations, the government and others you sort of, and please, if if you're a manager, don't get upset by this, but you tend to get promoted based on your level of incompetency because nobody wants to work with you. So you you, you tend to have bosses and bosses and bosses that don't necessarily know what they're doing. And then after that, I was sort of getting the itch for entrepreneur and I worked for a few other startups. And what I quickly learned was one of my mottos for life. If you're not willing to pursue your own dreams, other people will surely pay you to pursue theirs. And what I was doing is I was making a lot of people really, really rich on my ideas, and I wasn't getting a piece of that action. So that's when I sort of decided, you know something? Working for a company isn't that safe because we even see today, as soon as things get tight, they're going to lay you off in a second. So there's really not a lot of benefit working for a company, except you're doing all the work and somebody else making all the money. So I started a consulting company that we built up with a group of us, and then we sold to Lockheed Martin uh, for about half a bill. And then I also worked for a a software company. You you got a little thing out of it. No, 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 no. I'm one of those where people are always shocked and amazed because I, I was up at 
4.30 this morning, hit the gym. I'm going to be working until about 7 o'clock tonight. I'll be working this weekend. And the funny thing about it is I don't have to work. I, I, I do it because I love it. Yeah. And I enjoy it, not because I have to. <laughs> but, okay, I got, I got to tell you, I was having this conversation with somebody else yesterday at 9 o'clock at night in my office, and it was the same conversation. It was, you know, you don't have to work. You work way longer. All your employees, I'm here at the office uh, early in the morning. I'm the only one here to leaves. And, I, and that is just a trend you tend to see with entrepreneurs, that it's actually about the process. We love doing it, and that's what actually makes success. So people have it backwards. It's not like you get successful, and then you have this time. No, they're working even when they're successful because that's what got them there, and that's their passion. I I just love that. I think that's awesome that still to this day you've got that drive and you're you're, doing what you love. To me, it comes down to I think what makes somebody an entrepreneur, and until you do this, you shouldn't be able to call yourself an entrepreneur, is once you finally tap in to your purpose for being on this planet. Because I believe that everybody has a unique purpose that you need to fulfill. And once you find that, you're unstoppable. And to me, my purpose is to make cyberspace safe. I want to make cyberspace a safe place to live work and raise a family, that people shouldn't get hacked, that child predators shouldn't exist. And I'm really on that mission to educate the world. So to me, it's once you tap in to that purpose, boom, that's the jet fuel that takes you to that next level. I love that. It just, it resonates so well. And I feel like for, for me, and maybe like you, when I was working for somebody else, I didn't get to follow my purpose. And uh, so it, it's in, same thing. I had an amazing job. I worked for, you know, the third largest brokerage, uh, uh, health benefits brokerage firm in the nation. And I ran our state's office. It was awesome. I loved the people. I love my boss. But you just can't follow your purpose because you're following someone else's. And that was hard for me. And that's why I love financial freedom because it frees you to follow your purpose, your hopes and dreams, and you get to, you're in control of that. Exactly. And I just want to pull on that string a little more because you said something early that I really, really think is super important for people that want to go out on their own is you need to do it because you're going to make a difference and you really enjoy it, not because of the money. Like I, I haven't done this, but, but I predict that if you look at all the businesses that have failed, all the entrepreneurs that have gone back to their job, I think one thing you would find they all have in common is all they focused on and cared about the money. And what I learned in my career is whenever I focus on money and whenever I made decisions purely on money, I always regret it. And when I make the decisions based on what's right for me, the other person, what's the best moral ethical decision and really try to help people, it's always funny. The money always comes afterwards. So so to me, like you said, it's finding your purpose and let the money come second, not the other way around. Well, you know, I feel like too, to go along with this, I'm the same way. My my biggest failure in business, which was huge, most people won't have these kind of failures. I'm just not that smart. But it was because I followed the money, which meant that my I was being led by greed, and my pride told me I could probably get away and do things that I couldn't and make it work. And so I ignored red flags, and I maybe didn't like the people that I was doing that acquisition with, but I said, that doesn't matter because of the money. And that was the time I got in trouble. All the other times when I do business deals and I have partners with people that 
I respect. I think they're best in class. I want to learn from them, and I want to accomplish something awesome. And yes, there's going to be a large economic gain, but I I'm, I turn away I turn away projects that have upside every day. And but the ones that I choose now is way more focused that there's upside. But my partners and what we're doing. I'm excited about, I want to work with those people, build relationships with those people, and then it works out. It's not, you know, I I think that's very important for people to know and understand. That was a great point. Because that that was my thing. If I had to go back on my biggest lesson of starting companies, selling companies, being an entrepreneur, it's learning the discipline of being able to walk away and say no. Because a lot of people, when they're starting a company, you think you have to say yes to everything, that it's the last dollar. And if you don't say yes to this deal, but one of the most powerful things for any entrepreneur is walk away from a deal, say no. And once you learn that skill, that's going to be the difference that takes you to the next level. So I have a question for you because you, like me, I started in insurance, right? You started in cybersecurity, but I went on to create a benefits consulting company. That's what we did. We consulted large organizations and you did too. And we both followed kind of the same path, which I think is, in fact, we just had a, it's great to have you on because we just had a podcast talking about this the other day, that you went through the process to obtain knowledge. So you worked for somebody else, you learned it, you went and you followed that once you'd learned it, even though you were comfortable, you were getting paid well for applying your knowledge, you decided to take risk, go out and apply that knowledge for yourself and others and follow your passion. What would you suggest to somebody that, you know, I think this is a huge separator from knowledge. When you had your first company, though, when you left, how did you know it was the right time to leave? I'm going to answer two ways. One is if you listen, to that part of your brain that's meant to protect you and keep you safe, it will never be the right time. It will never, ever be the right time. On the other hand, it, it's weird when I tell people this, but it's to, to me, there's something inside you that you just know it's the right time. I, I just woke up one day, I was driving to work at the CIA. And when I got there, I called my wife and I'm like, I'm resigning today. And we've, we've been talking back and forth about it. She's like, why today? I'm like, I don't know but there was just something I knew inside. This was the right time to move on. And I would say it's one of those things you just got to jump because if you, if you wait for it to be safe, if you wait for it to be perfect, if you wait for everything to line up, it's not going to happen. And the thing I always like pointing out that everyone misses is every successful person, every entrepreneur has failed. It's just with all social media, you don't focus on that. The example I love to give is who do you think the person is who struck out the most in baseball, who had the most strikeouts when he goes to the plate. You know who the top three players are? Reggie Jackson, Sammy Sosa, and Alex Rodriguez. Three of the best hitters that are in the Hall of Fame for hitting the most home runs. But the interesting thing is, if you hit enough home runs, nobody pays attention to your strikeouts, except us. But so many people are so afraid of that strikeout. They're so afraid of failing. They're so afraid of making that mistake. They're never going to go in and jump. And you have to recognize is you are going to make mistakes. Things are not going to work out. You are going to strike out many, many times but it's what you focus on that allows you to continue down the path. Yeah, I you know, I think that is such a hard thing for people to get over. 
And I think one of the major reasons that's a hard thing is they feel like they're the person in charge is somehow more suited than they are, even though they don't know why, just because they have to be in charge, the boss, whatever that may be, right? And that was something that early on, I worked with companies all over. And I was working directly with the the CEO owner because we were consultants and we we worked to help stabilize uh, uh, their, their benefit dollars, different things like that. And I learned really quickly, wow, some of these guys really don't know what's going on. And I'm like, yet they own the big company. And that was very enlightening to me that just because you're the start of the company, just because you're, that doesn't mean you're the smartest person in the room. In fact, most of the time it was the opposite. That's why they hired us. And that's why they hired others. And that was extremely, you know, as you come of age, right? You're young, you think adults, they just know everything, right? It's just, they have it all together. They know what they're doing. And then me, coming of age and learning exactly what you said, that they're not perfect. They're messing up. It's And they don't expect it to be perfect. It never is. And that's such a hurdle. I don't, why do you think that's so hard for, because even, even today, I'm sure sometimes it hits an even successful people's mind, right? Oh, I can't do that. Or I'm not doing that. Why is that so hard for people to get over? I think it's because the perception that the media gives, and even more so with social media, because I don't know anybody that goes on social media and says, you know something, I failed today, I lost three contracts, uh, you I mean, somebody told me I was stupid, what do you go on social media? I won a great contract, blah, so, so, so you get this perception that everyone else in the world is perfect and things come easy and that it's not hard to get to where you want to go. And to, to me, that's the biggest thing. If you can get over that in your mind that you're no one else is smarter than you, you're just as smart as anyone else, and you're going to fail your way to success, and it's not going to work out, and it's no different. And persistence, I think, is key. Now, the only thing I would add to that is making sure that you learn from your mistakes and adapt. So that whole yes. Einstein insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's probably the two biggest mistakes I see with entrepreneurs is they either give up because they get hard on themselves and they get a bad mindset that they can't succeed, or they're really, really persistent, but they're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they're not adapting, learning and trying different things. So I just, that is just gold. Thank you for sharing that with us and our listeners. What now you, okay. You, you mentioned here, you sold the company for half a billion dollars. Were you still running the company operating it? I mean, what, what's your next steps after you sell a company for a half a billion dollars? I mean, what do you do? It's funny. You, you get up the next day, you shower and get dressed and you go to work. And, <laughs> and it was, it's sort of funny. Cause I was, I was uh, the chief technology officer. So some of the folks in the company were a little older and a few of them uh, sort of took that as their retirement because they were sort of doing that. But, but the rest of us, it was Lockheed bought us and we showed up the next day and sort of went back to work and sort of continued working and, and continued trying to make a difference and, and go to the next level. So it's one of those you sit there on the sidelines saying, if I had X amount, pick a number, $50 million, that would change everything. But really it doesn't. Because if you really have that drive and that purpose and to make a difference, you wake up and maybe a few months later, you have a nicer car, you take some nicer vacations, you might have a nicer house. But, but, but at least from my standpoint, the money isn't why I'm working. The money isn't the drive. So the fact that there's more money in the bank account is just like, oh, that's nice. 
my kids will be taken care of, my family will be taken care of. But that's not, you're going to stop working and say, okay, now I'm going to sit on the beach and drink pina coladas. I love it. And that's why you received the money is because that wasn't your motivating factor. That correlation, people, I think if you got one thing out of this podcast, I would hope that it it would, first of all, be that because that is so important. The correlation that you have with your drive, your motive, what you're doing. And that's why most successful entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs, right? They don't sell something at 30 and then say, all right, I'm retired. And they're sitting around saying, I guess I'll fish every day by the pond. That's not how it works, right? So did you go start up another? Are you still with Lockheed? What do you do? What What did you do uh, in the years to come? Are you still with Lockheed Martin right now? No. So uh, we, we sold to Lockheed. And as part of the deal, a few execs had to stay on. And because cybersecurity was so important, Bob Stevens, the CEO and president of the time, kept me on as his chief scientist. So I, I was in charge of all cybersecurity across all of Lockheed Martin. And, and once again, I was making a difference in the world. I was working. I loved it. Of course, I had small companies I was starting investing. And, and I, I probably would have stayed there a little bit. But then uh, Dave DeWall, who also serial entrepreneur, he was at McAfee at the time. And he wanted to redesign the product line and reposition in the company because that was around 2009 where they weren't doing well and wanted to sell the company. So he brought me on. We had a five-year plan. We actually got it done in three and sold to Intel. And once again, that was $3.2 billion. Now, that's a, um, I had a much smaller percent of that, but smaller percents of bigger pies still, still yes. works out there. And, and then after that, I was training and teaching. And I just it was one of those where everyone said I was crazy. I'm like, I got one more in me. I got one more in me. So that's what I'm doing now with Secure Anchor. Uh, and we've built that up. I, I, I'm my own investor. So I own 100% self-funded that. And I'm now building training, uh, teaching, and helping the secure organization. So it's sort of just the next adventure. Okay, I got it. So first of all, something that I love about your story. We mentioned false premises at the first for entrepreneurship. And one of the reasons I think there's a false premise in entrepreneurship and how how it works and why people get scared because they think I'm not smart enough things is because like you said, the media and social media things, there is a hero architect that they give certain entrepreneurs. Let's call it Elon Musk, right? I mean, people just assume that Elon Musk built these companies by himself. Like when that's not how it happened at all, right? Elon Musk went and found people that were 10 times smarter than him and said, this is what I'm trying to do, right? Then the media, you know, puts him on a on a pedestal and it's, you know, he was just a genius and just created these, you know, all these things by himself and everything, which is just entirely not true. And I like to say wealth and success is a team sport. It is not an individual sport. And too often because of movies and, you know, we have this hero architect or archetype and the story that flows. And that's what we're told. And that's how we assume it happened. Two guys got in a garage. They had a great idea. Boom, they're billionaires, right? That's not how it works. Actually, they had to secure venture capitalism that brought in $100 million and took over all their company. And then they were hired by their own company. They own stock in it still. But it just there's so many things that go into this. And they had to work with so many smart people. They had to get backing and you know, once we get rid of that naive view that they're smart, I'm not, that they 
somehow magically did it on their own. Didn't, and that's what I love about your story that you're talking about here. You talked about these all these other people that were with you and how you, you know, went out and you did it and you created it. And I think if people took that that approach way more often, I mean, it's how it was with me. I had mentors, I had my partners, my father, my brother-in-law. I had, you know, I, I went and I worked for other people and I learned. So I think when, you know, you put that in perspective is, listen, financial freedom, entrepreneurship, it's not just, you know, it shouldn't be just you. You need to surround yourself with people that can help you accomplish the vision. And it's always think big picture, right? On I was a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a virtual teaching to a business school, and it's funny. The kids were like, "I want a hundred percent of my company." I'm, you know, I mean, VCs are evil, this and that. And I said, "Well, let me ask you a question: Do you want a hundred percent of a company or three percent?" And they're like, "Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent." I said, "You're missing the data. Do you want a hundred percent of a company that's worth two hundred thousand, or like when I was at Intel, do you want three percent of a company that sells for eight billion? And and you saw their eyes go up, and it's it's a different way of thinking. But if you position and find that right area, getting small percents of large ventures is definitely a smarter way. Now I've done both, and you could be successful at both. But you wanna you wanna think big picture. That you need to surround yourself with a team, not just an individual. Yeah, it should, and. Well, that leads us back to right at the first, what you said. It's the difference between I want the money and I want the passion and the vision to be accomplished. And that's why when successful entrepreneurs are successful, because they say, I want to accomplish this. They bring somebody in and they say, listen, AJ, I'm sorry, you want to accomplish this, but you're not doing this right. And you got to build out this whole other section to be successful, everything like that. And I'm like, oh, crap, he's right. I'm like, well, will you come on? He's like, okay, well, I want part of your company. I'm like, no, forget you, get out of here, you know, or whatnot. Then I pass up the opportunity because it's I don't want to pay or I don't want to get the the money. It becomes selfish. But when it's about the vision, you bring people in to 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 accomplish the vision, the the uh, the passion that you have, and it's not about ego, it's not about the money, and it's not about greed. It's about accomplishment. It's about changing. And, you know, taking control of your future. So it just rolls in perfectly exactly what you're telling those kids. Yeah. And one of the things I tell people starting off, and I did this with my first company, I didn't talk about it because it only sold for a measly 2 million, right? Uh, so small compared to the bigger <laughs> numbers. But, but, but that company, the first year, the way I grew and the way I got customers was I said, listen, I'm going to do work for you. This is what I would normally charge, but you pay me what you think is fair. And, and that's how I got the business. Cause like Eric, we, we don't have any money for that in the budget. I said, no problem. Let me come in. I'll do it for free. And then if you think there was value out of it, you can pay me. But if you don't think there was any value out of me, you don't have to pay me because I love the work so much. And the funny thing with that is I ended up getting more money than if I actually build them because people saw the value in doing it. So it's things like that, where when, as soon as you take money out of the equation and you're willing to do something for free and let the results work on their own, that to me is when you get into entrepreneurship, sitting there and fighting over dollars and saying, I'm not going to do the work unless you pay me a ridiculous amount of money. That's where you get into the danger zone. I, I couldn't agree more. Once again, we, we have to prove our results before we get hired with our clients and everything. And we work and I've worked on some for months and my team's worked stuff. And we didn't get it. And that's fine. Right. That's that how it's worked. But so many people are so addicted to the paycheck where they're not willing to put in all this massive time and work and everything without making money. And it's that that's the opposite of entrepreneurship. 
That's totally the opposite. It's about front-loading work, working twice as hard as you ever would if you're ever getting paid. And then two, when you get paid, at first, you may be getting paid 50 cents on the dollar that you would otherwise and still going. And then it's from there, you create scale, which is that's the next question I have for you. So we talk about getting started. We talk about overcoming this. When you're in it and you're trying to ramp up enterprises to those kind of levels, how do you accomplish that? And how do you actually, you know, it's just so different, right? It's so different when you're going from one to 500,000 or a million to, you know, 50, 60, 70 million. What's the difference and how, how do you get there? To me, and I, I've done both product companies and professional services and consulting. Uh, I'll just use the consulting one as the example. But to me, what I do is I figure out first how to do something. So here's how you deliver a service. Here's the uniqueness. Of course, you want to always, who's the target market? What is their problem? What are they willing to pay for? Uh, how is your solution unique? Once I get all that done, I then start delivering it and realizing, okay, this has value. Once I can do that and replicate it, I then bring on three people and I train those three people firsthand on going in and delivering that service. Then once they're up and running, then I have each of those three train three people. And now I'm involved from a coaching perspective. And then after that, those people can then bring on three and then I'm out of the loop. And now all of a sudden you can see yes. it, it grow exponentially. It's sort of like on your business instead of yeah. in the business. And that's the key thing I would say is that probably one of my other failures is because I love the tech and I love cybersecurity. In this company, Secure Anchor, it's a little slower grow because the first two years I stayed working in the business too much and not on the business. So you want to have a goal that maybe the first six months you're 90% working in the business then 70%. And after two or three years, you should maybe be 10% in the business and 90 working on the business. And that was sort of a lesson I forgot and I had to learn again. But now we're at the point where now I have such systems and metrics in place that I could go away. I could look at my metrics once a week and I could see where the problems are, make adjustments with my team, and then they go off and implement it. And this is key because now you separated your time from your money. And so yes. then you're on a whole nother higher level of personally being able to achieve things because now you have time to accomplish these goals and work on the business and try to, you know, be more strategic. And then that's where, you know, for me, I love the start. I love it. I love figuring things out and everything like that. But once you get to that point, that's when you're, you are able to really accomplish more, but you have to go through everything else to get there. I mean, you got to earn it. You got to pay yeah. for it. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to be working in the business, doing the, all the jobs then, you know, that normally when you're working for a company that they have other people there to do, you've got to push through that. You've got to create it. You've got to make it. And, but you don't get paid for doing all the jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just on that, to me, a lot of people don't realize that to me, a lifestyle business isn't really a business. I agree. A, a lifestyle I agree. business is really a prison where, and I had that, you can work and you can make a ton of money, but when you stop working, you're not making money and you're the delivery and you're the product. That's not a business. That's prison because you can't get out of it and there's nothing to sell. So you want to quickly, you might have to start off as a lifestyle, but you need to quickly say how 
can I migrate this to a real business that not only has sellable assets, but that I can step away for three months and the business still runs. Okay. This, and to me, those are the ultimate tests. The ultimate tests. I, I'm right there with you. And anyone that's gone through and done this and scaled, they, they understand this. I remember to a point where I realized, oh, shoot, you know, I, I had my aha moment where I was like, you know, no, I, I'm actually not financially free. In fact, I do have a job where I thought I was, but I was tied directly to the time and the work. And if I went away for three months, the work would go away. And so with the money, then that's a job. It is. The moment, you know, you, you, it doesn't matter if you're working, you know, on your own or within the realms of a company and you receive a W-2, but how you receive the income, what's important is how your time works in relation to your income, because this is directly correlated on how you can scale, right? Yes. So you can't scale if your time's, time is directly, or your income is directly correlated with your time. So moving outside of that, and I like the, you know, you mentioned the sales and, you know, in real estate, it's the same thing, right? We got to buy, you got to hire people under you, so you're not taking the problems. Um, but you got to get to the point where you're working on the business. Now, when you get, so kind of explain, when you're going through this process and you get to that point, you're at a next level. How do you take your business to the next level from there? Now you're working on it, not in it. You have your team built out. They're executing. You're bringing in that capital. What's your next steps? So, you, you know, on now your third business, that's where you're at right now, right? I'm assuming that's where we're at right now. Yes. Yeah. What are you looking for for the next step, the next level, and how are you getting there? So, so the two things that I'm focusing almost 90% on with my current business is, is one is uh, marketing and visibility. So I love on being on stage. I love giving keynotes. Now, of course, with everything going on, it's all virtual. So I, I would go around and get on stages of two to 3,000 and generate the leads and the interest for my company so we can keep growing to show the differential because I have a certain mark that I want to grow to where I'm then going to look at uh, selling, get, getting an exit on. So, so I'm looking at helping to grow that area that we can sell to. And then the second thing is looking at new blue oceans, looking at new opportunities okay, that we can that play in. Okay, explain that a lot in. of our because I, I, I love this. I explained what, what that blue oceans are and why you're looking at them. Awesome. So uh, it's sort of the comparison between blue ocean, red ocean. So re red ocean is very competitive. That's where it's bloody. People are, are really competitive and you're basically competing on price. You, you could argue that in your neighborhood, opening up a dry cleaning business is very red ocean. There's probably seven or eight already there and you're just going to compete on price and there's not a lot of new. A blue ocean is where there's a unique opportunity and there's really no competition. There's no competition out there where you can go in and grow an organization. So for example, with mine, uh, with everything going on now, chief information security officers working virtually is a big hot area. No one's doing that. So we now have a huge offering on virtual CISOs to be able to provide those security services to organizations. So in that blue ocean, there's a huge need. Customers are willing to spend money. You have the skill set and there's literally no competition in that area so you can essentially dominate and own that market. Another way you look at it is you're, you're becoming a category king. You're becoming the king of that category. So anyone else coming in there is looking up to you as the model. A great example is if you say electric cars to anyone, 
Tesla. Now, now th th there's competition, but Tesla owns that blue ocean. Now it's getting a little competitive, but they still have the differentiators in place with the battery technology and everyone thinks of it. So it's really figuring out a market, not that you're going to compete, but that you can own and there's literally no competition. So I'm always looking at new growth opportunities for my company of how we can get into new product, new offerings to continue to grow. And you, you mentioned a good point because, you know, blue oceans won't always stay blue. But the, when, you, if, right. when you're first to market, you have that untapped potential. You have the ability to learn and you have the ability to grow and create offerings that everybody else will just try to keep up with, right? And then you have the name, you have the brand, you have the recognition. Once again, like Tesla. Yes, there's other people coming to market. I can't think of any of their names. But they're coming, right? But they've already created a foundation. And then what happens normally, I've seen in Red Oceans, is that the people that are first to market, they create the infrastructure of those markets. So whether you're Apple, and now you own the, you know, online listening and space, or, you know, you own the podcasting space, whatever that may be, it's because other people now have to come onto your infrastructure to utilize it. Like, apps. I mean, something crazy, all the apps in the world, you know, the vast majority of all of them are done on Apple. And so it's, it's interesting that once you break into that ocean, the, lots of times the competition comes in and they basically have to feed off your infrastructure. And then that's when you, you know, you, you really do, like you say, you get to the next level. No, that's exciting stuff, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's cool. I love, I love to the category King, because that's kind of how I view it, even with you know what I do? I'm in self storage in the real estate as well as some other stuff. But that's essentially what I want. I category king. I want to be what people think of self storage. They think AJ Osborne, right? And so I have another podcast and book and different things like that. But it's it it it's a differentiator, um, and it can lead to tremendous opportunities that aren't normal. So you're going out and you're doing your speaking events. You're getting out there. You're being known. I'm sure that creates a lot of opportunities for you that don't have a direct ROI. And that's what working on the business is, right? There may not be an exact correlated ROI, but without it, it dies. And there's no opportunity. It doesn't grow, everything like that. And that's what you're out doing right now. Yeah, and a great example of that is uh, when I'm home, this is my uh, office, and I probably spend two or three hours in the studio every day producing content, just free content that we put out there on social, we send the customers we give. And a lot of my team is like, Eric, you could bill out at $2,000 an hour and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but if I put the right content out and get to the right folks and we bring in new customers and we become the category king while the ocean is still blue, that is going to be much bigger than focusing on that little area. And then I jokingly say, and they, and, and they always smile, I'm like, your thinking is why you work for me. And my thinking is why I'm an entrepreneur because you're thinking about how to make the next dollar now. And I'm thinking about how to make the next 30 million over the next three years. And, and it's just sort of that different mindset. I'm willing to invest time now for the payoff later. And they're going, but Eric, you could just make money immediately now, but it's short-lived. Yep. I want my W-2 right now, right? I, yep. <laughs> I, I, I want that check. I want that income, right? Entrepreneurs like, no, I got to build something. And then the infrastructure then we'll have the infrastructure to launch off of. We'll have the platform, and then you can scale from there. But you're not getting a direct ROI. And it's so funny because lots of people have the opposite view. They think, oh, the boss makes all the money, everything like that. When it's actually like, well, they, they have to work without ever getting money, without ever having a promised return. And that's their job, to work day and night to try to create those opportunities. No, I, I, I love that. And I mean, you're still out there. You're still 
killing it. I'm sure if you're doing keynote stuff, you're on the road a lot. Um, so do you have a family? Uh, yes, I do. So I have a 20-year-old boy and then a 17-year-old girl and a 15-year-old. Okay, that's awesome. Congratulations. And um, how is it? I love to hear this too with entrepreneurs. How is it with their family growing up in uh, an entrepreneurial home where, you know, dad doesn't quite work like other dads and, uh, you know, it's a little different. How, how does, how's that on family life? I was going to say, if you, if you had my kids on the show, they might give you a different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's, it's one of those, you just have to get comfortable with the fact that you're making sacrifices. I mean, there, there, there were times where I wasn't at all the kids' events that I wanted to be at, and, and I could look back at that with regrets. But, but then I sort of had an epiphany where I said, you know something? I'm setting an example for them. I still yes. provided a great life. And the one thing I realized, which I know some uh, books and other f- folks disagree with me, but it's not about being balanced every single day. It's being balanced long-term. So, so there will be sometimes two months where I'm not home. I, I will talk to my kids every day. I'll FaceTime with them. I'll still talk to them. I'll help them with homework, but I won't be there for two months. But then I'll come home and I'll pick them up from school. We'll, we'll go to games. We'll do stuff. And I'll spend a lot of time with them, help them out. We'll do special trips. My son loves cars, so we'll go racing cars and, and we'll do stuff like that. And then over a year, it balances out but it's not consistent, smooth. If every day you try to go in and say, I need to give three hours to this, two hours to my kid, it, you, you, you're never going to be successful. So I it's recognizing you're going to make short-term sacrifices as long as long-term you recognize you're doing that and then you adjust over time. You know, and, and, I, and I love that. And I think that this is a, I, I think it's a industrial age problem because I feel like the industrial age screwed up the thinking behind working where it's, you have set hours, you do it because- you know, my parents, they came from a really rural town in Idaho. My father grew up in poverty. My mom was a farmer. And, you know, in farming communities and, you know, rural Western America and everything, it's you work when you're awake. And you work with your family. You're trying to accomplish goals. And there is a huge sense of pride in that. That we're not going out and no, maybe you can go to the baseball game. I got to stay here and feed the cattle, right? I got to, you know, do this stuff. And there is, that's how they're trained. It's we work when work needs to be done and we play afterwards. And for me, I always grew up and thought that was very admirable. I loved that. I thought, I, I don't know why that has a bad connotation. And I never see it work out bad for the kids because of the example it sets. You work. Even if you don't need to, you work, you get things done, you take care of your employees, you take care of your animals, right? You take care of what's yours. You have domain kind of over this. This is yours and you need to, you know, make sure it works out. It's about responsibility. It's not at five o'clock, you clock out, and now you don't have any responsibility to that thing. Because that's not how family works, right? I have responsibility for my kids no matter what, all the time, and I got to work. It's the same thing with business, and that's why, you know, my wife calls my business, you know, my other children. And it's because it's true. <laughs> yep. I love that. And now you got, so, okay, this, right now you are, are you based all virtually? So how's COVID-19 affected your business? 
it's had a little impact. I, I'm one of those ones, and I hopefully don't offend any of the listeners. Uh, I, I am a fan of you got to live your life. I'm not going to live in fear. Uh, I've tr- since the quarantine's been out. I've traveled to out of the country. I've traveled to California. I travel multiple times. Now my philosophy is this: I'm going to live my life, but I'm also not going to put anyone at risk. So anytime I come home from those trips, I immediately go and get tested. And I stay quarantined until the test results come back. So, so I am being a reasonable person of society and protecting my kids and my family, but I'm still living my life. So I'm still as busy as ever. Some of the work has sort of shifted or cut down a little, but I'm not worried because cybersecurity is going to be a top concern as we enter the new world. But a lot of people are adapting. Like great example is one of my business lines is we do expert witness work. So we testify in high profile trials. And last two weeks, I actually testified in the first virtual trial ever in the United States. Really? So, yeah, so, so we actually went in and, and I helped with some of the security and the setup of it. And the judge ran an entire trial virtually. I actually testified in this room right, with, wow. with my suit on and did it. So it's one of those that if you're sort of creative and you recognize that, hey, there's opportunities here, life goes on. I didn't go in the courtroom, but it's virtual. It's just uh, some people that think that this is a time to take a vacation, to take a break, or or not work. Th- those are the ones that are saying things are hard. And like I said, I'm not trying to get anyone upset, but I believe if you want to work, there are tons of opportunities out there right now. You got to think differently. You got to be resourceful, but, but, but they're out there. And probably my funniest example that my friends make fun of me for is... I love exercising. It's, it, I got to get up. I got to exercise. It's my thing. So with all the gyms closing, you couldn't exercise. So I, I kid you not, I did the research and I realized that Gold's Gym was going to go bankrupt and they were trying to sell the assets. So I actually bought a gym. So I have a, I have a 40,000 square foot gym that I go to every day and I work out and I'm by myself and I have a great time. And then here's the funniest thing because of the deal I did. Once it opens back up, I have a right to sell, and I'll probably make thirty or forty thousand on it. Now, I never bought it for the investment, right? I bought it because of the lifestyle. But I'm like, okay, I got to work out in a gym for four months, I got to exercise, and I'm going to make money off of the deal. So, to me, so many people want to say I can't, but if you're resourceful, there's always going to be ways to make things happen. No, I, man, that is just gold for anybody listening. Um, you know, we found it was so interesting the economics behind this. And I think people don't understand in times of crisis and times of this, it's also a consolidation time for capital and opportunity. Um, when everybody goes home, turns on the TV and shuts the door, all the opportunity goes to the people that aren't. And we found that in our business where we, I, I've worked, been working more in the last, you know, month than I ever have, especially right now, because during the whole COVID-19, we worked every single, I worked every single day and got up, worked all day long. And then when things started opening back up, we have more opportunities than we can even, we, we, we literally just turning down capital. We're turning down opportunity because there was nobody else. It was like the space vacated and I was sitting there alone. And so everybody's like, well, Hey, you're here. So you know what I mean? But it's true. It's, it's, you know, it's this idea that this almost contrarian idea where it's, I'm going to make the best out of a bad situation. But more importantly, like you said, it's not going to stop me. I'm not going to let it control my life. I am in control and I'm going to pivot, but I'm going to keep going. And that is 
entrepreneurship to the T. And to me, what you just nailed is it's, it's mindset. It's how you look at any given problem. So a lot of people look at the current epidemic and say, the world's closing down. It's terrible. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to unemployed. There's no opportunities. And guess what? You're right. An entrepreneur, I sat there and said, this is the best opportunity because it's going to weed out the competition. It's going to give me more opportunities. I'm going to survive. They're not. And let me look at what opportunities are out there. And I know it sounds a little weird or maybe Tony Robbins-like, but, but if you wake up every day going, there's amazing opportunities for me to make money versus waking up every day going, this sucks and the world is going to end. I mean, c- come on, which one do you think is going to end the day on a positive note? Yeah, it'll be whatever you think it is. Exactly. No, I, I think that's awesome. Well, hey, man, I don't want to take up all your time. This has been gold. Will you tell people awesome. where they can find you, where they can get a hold of you? Like, where, where should we direct people? So my company is Secure Anchor. So if you go to secure-anchor.com, that's my company website. But that's a lot of cybersecurity. If you're looking for more of the entrepreneur stuff on any of the social media platforms, it's Dr. Eric Cole, D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E. Uh, I put a ton of free content out. I just did a Facebook Live right before the show and shot some videos. So Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, just Dr. Eric Cole uh, to get all the content that I put out. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. This was awesome. And we wish you the best of luck as you scale. Sounds the same to you. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.